Hi, I'm Graham McLennan, and today I'm talking to the force behind Vancouver's anonymous kitchen scene zine called Choke the Zine. Let's get started. Talking to chefs and sometimes lawyers, but always to people who love food. You're listening to the Chef Demoni Podcast. Here's your host, Graham McLennan. Welcome back to the Chef Demoni Podcast. We are continuing along with season three of the show after a short two-week break, and it feels really good to be back. Thank you, as always, for joining me, and if you're new to the show, welcome to Chef Demoni. Chef Demoni is a podcast that's all about stories. I've noticed over the years that so many people in the culinary world have so many great stories, but the fact of the matter is that the people who are working in that business, they work incredibly hard, they're doing the great work of preparing and serving delicious food to the rest of us, and so they don't often have, in my view, enough time to share these stories. So on the Chef Demoni podcast, my goal is to find these stories and to share them with you, stories that you might not otherwise hear. Oh, and some housekeeping matters before we get further into today's episode. I usually say this at the end of the show, but occasionally I change it up and put it at the beginning, like I'm going to do right now. So if you're enjoying Chef Timoni, please share it with a food-loving friend. Let them know about the podcast and encourage them to subscribe on whatever their favorite podcast app is. And speaking of those podcast apps, and again, if you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving a star rating for Chef Demoni. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, which is what they're now calling iTunes, and on many of the other podcast apps and directories. And if you've got a few more minutes, please leave a written review for the show. Doing either or both of those things really does help others to find Chef Demoni, and I'd really appreciate that. Okay, today's guest. Today's guest is a Vancouver-based chef, but... I don't know who he is, not really. I can say that he is at least one of the forces behind this great anonymous culinary publication. It's called Choke the Zine. And Choke is a kitchen scene zine that's headquartered in Vancouver. You'll hear my guest today say it might grow into a magazine at some point, but right now it's a zine. And I highly recommend that you check out Choke's website and their social media. I'll put links to those in today's show notes. So when I wrote to Choke the Zine, when I wrote to the email that they had published, uh, looking for an interview, the emails that came back came back from an Artie Choke. So there is today's guest, Mr. Artie Choke. And as you'll hear in our discussion today, Mr. Choke views cooking as as really temporary, as really ephemeral. All this work goes into it, and then it's gone in a couple of bites. So what he wanted to do was to create something that would last longer, last longer than the food that he and others are preparing. And Mr. Choke also wanted to connect with other people within the culinary industry. And in producing Choke the Zine, I think he's doing great work on both of those fronts. You're also going to hear today about Diligent Dave, and Diligent Dave has been washing dishes for 23 years in eight different countries. He also happens to hold a master's degree in philosophy, and he is available as Choke's advice columnist. So if you've got cooking questions, concerns, conundrums, queries, consider writing in to Choke the Zine and getting some advice from Diligent Dave. All right, I want to keep today's episode a relatively short and a very focused one, and I want to get right to today's interview. It's so much fun. Oh, one more thing. You'll hear a very disguised version of Mr. Choke's voice. That is simply uh, our effort to maintain his anonymity. So today's interview is going to sound very different from other interviews that you've heard on Chef Timoni. 
In any case, here we go. Off now to my talk with the wonderful, the anonymous, Mr. Artie Choke. Well, listen, Artie, thanks very much for being here. I'm delighted to be speaking to you and delighted to be knowing what to call you because the email that came back from Choke the Zine when I emailed the magazine was from an Artie Choke. So I now know what to call you. So thanks for that. And, and thanks for being on Cheftimony. My pleasure, Graham. Long time listener, first time interviewee here. And uh, <laughs> Artie is short for Artemis. If you want to get formal, you can call me Artemis. <laughs> Terrific, Artemis. I love it. Well, listen, let's start exactly with the, the magazine. I've had the, uh, the, the pleasure of reading the first two issues. So tell us, what is Choke and, and why do you produce it? Well, thanks for investing your time in reading it. And I, I hope you uh, tried the crossword, but I guess we'll get to that later. Choke, <laughs> yeah. as you know, is a small zine. I don't think it's quite a magazine. Maybe one day in the distant future, it will evolve to be a magazine. But for the time being, it's just a zine, a single piece of uh, letter letter-sized paper folded uh, a few times and um, it exists because well I'm a cook and I've spent countless hours working in kitchens you know sweating and stressing and cranking out food on on a daily basis and some components on on these dishes as you know yourself probably take a long time to make you know whether it's a sauce or a garnish or whatever it is and often they're just gobbled up without much thought or appreciation bar an Instagram picture that never really captures the work that went into it uh, so almost everything we do as cooks is is like that it's ephemeral you know it's fleeting and i wanted to make something that would last longer than your dinner so that's that's one reason that choke the zine was born also i wanted to connect with the other cooks in well in british columbia and i guess in the world uh, who like me have all been just kind of struggling sweating and stressing together but uh, it's like a community of people who I don't even know, but we spend so much time working in kitchens doing the same thing. I've never met these people, but we all share the fact that we are just cranking day in and day out. And uh, yeah, it's kind of for them, just a, like community building, I suppose. It's something for them. We don't get paid uh, overtime or, you know, or anything like that. We don't get breaks. We don't get this or we don't get the living wage or that or whatever. But at least we have this piece of paper that we can all read and read it together. And maybe the lay person, the diner, isn't going to really get what the what the zine is about. They're not going to get the crossword, but at least at least we hopefully will. You know. Right, right. And what is what has the reaction been from your fellow cooks? Have you had people reach out to you? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the yeah. reaction's been very positive. Yeah. Uh, people seem to really enjoy it, which has just encouraged me to uh to keep making it and it's been great. Diligent Dave, on the other hand, hasn't been getting a whole lot of emails, which is a little bit disappointing. He's a, he's oh, is that right? Uh, how, now, Diligent Dave, for those who don't know, he's the he's the advice columnist at Choke, right? That's right, the agony ant or advice columnist, yeah. Um, yeah, Dave is an old friend of mine who's been, well, he's a wise old friend, we'll say. He's been around the block. He's been in kitchens working as a dishwasher mainly for uh, over like two decades. And he's been the one who I have in the past kind of turned to advice. If I had had questions or whatever, I'd turn to him because he often, he's a wise man, as I said. So I it only seemed fitting to include him in the publication too. I mean, agony ants or whatever have been around for like, 300 years or something 330 years ago i think their first agony advice column was published in 1690 so i mean it's everyone has questions and everyone has problems uh dave 
could be the man to answer them. So excellent. What is there? A, is there a question that stands out among the questions that Dave has received as the the best or the strangest? Well, like I said, Dave's inbox hasn't quite filled up yet, but we've had a few. Uh, one of them was from a cook who said his his partner suffered a gluten intolerance. But uh, he didn't really believe it, and he started to feed her uh, soy sauce and like things that had gluten in it, kind of uh, hidden, hidden gluten, to see if she would uh, see if she would react to it or if she was just making it up. So uh, he gave her some words of wisdom there, how to deal with that. Okay, okay. Can can you tell us the outcome? Um, well, you might you might see it in a future issue. We'll say. I don't okay. want to spoil it. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Now, a- apart from you, Artemis and, and Diligent Dave, is there is there anybody else behind Choke? Is there a, is there some sort of collective here, or is it uh, um, is it your Choke? Yeah, we're it's a very small core group. You say, you could say I am the heart. I suppose you could say the heart of the art. You could say I'm the Artichoke heart, and uh, we do collaborate with other people. Generally, uh, the inside of the zine, uh, so the fun guide and the street food guide, have been collaborations with uh, fellow cooks and farmers or whatever you know foragers and so i work with someone else on the inside and then uh, for the kind of outside cover generally i myself and dave take care of it okay fair enough who where did you learn to fold like that the folding is really interesting to me folding, yes well i took an intensive six-week paper folding course some time ago okay. um, yes i was joking no um I, I don't know about that. It's it's just a piece of paper folded a few times. In university, a friend showed me it. Since then, I hadn't folded a piece of paper. It must have been 15 years ago. And then when uh, we started thinking about choke, that just it came up and it seemed uh, it seemed appropriate. A zine in a zine. We have two sides to it, which is kind of appealing too. So two for the price of one deal, you know? Right, right. And the price is right. <laughs> the, price, the price is perfect, I'd say. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's let's dive into some of the issues that you've tackled. I'm curious for your thoughts. And uh, here around the current state of the culinary industry and some of the challenges, I know in your first issue, mm-hmm. the welcome issue of Choke, it, in, or in the welcome to that issue, you wrote of restaurant cooks being fueled by long hours and scant pay. I thought that was a good turn of phrase, being fueled by that. But mm-hmm. tell us about the challenges of living as a cook, particularly in a city as expensive as Vancouver. It's, it's just plain not easy. Well, I don't think it's easy to live as a cook in any city. Um, you know, Vancouver might be a little bit more difficult because it's, well, it's more expensive. But, I mean, cooks everywhere are on their feet all, all day. They don't get breaks like you would if you were in an office. You work overtime. It's kind of like the Wild West of industries, I figured, kitchens. And they're, they're so desperate for staff so often that they'll put up with behavior that might get you fired in an office setting or elsewhere. So it's a real motley crew of people, which is it's a good thing and a bad thing, I think, in kitchens. It's what makes it so great to work in kitchens, but it's also, it can be tiring. Right, and toxic, right. You know? and, and I think your analogy to the Wild West is a good one because it can, in many ways, be a very free lifestyle, right? Because there are, you know, maybe it's a little more lax. There aren't quite as many rules or expectations. Definitely. around politeness and that kind of thing as there might be in the office world. But at the same time, there aren't as many protections or they don't seem to be well-established. Yeah, it's, it's a real weird uh, industry. It's really it's strange how it's still like this. And, I mean, maybe it's changing slowly, but um, 
it's behind all those other all the other industries you know mm-hmm. i was talking to somebody recently who was who was mentioning sat baines the chef in uh, london whose restaurant has gone to a four-day just a four-day cycle i think they're only open four days a week so they can yeah. give their cooks a, a better lifestyle is that something more restaurants should be looking at or yeah. or do you have any thoughts on how, yeah. how it I mean, could improve it all it all depends on the restaurant really um but yeah i definitely think that's a good idea because especially those guys are probably working you know longer than eight hour days we'll say so yeah you're still working 40 hours plus a week so yeah i think that's a great idea i mean I remember even reading in uh, the province or one of these newspapers in uh, Vancouver a few months ago that the rest, some restaurants are doing that here just because they can't find people to work. They just mm-hmm. you can't find cooks, you know. So, yeah. Do you have, Do you have any thoughts on the age old question, the front of house, back of house divide, and on how that might be? improved i mean the the most obvious attempted solution i've seen is to have gratuity in pricing and then distribute the money a little more equitably between the servers and the cooks but Mm. most of those restaurants that try that haven't succeeded at it yeah well yeah the front of house versus back of house whole thing from my experience it's quite ridiculous i a long time ago i worked at uh, earl's in vancouver and I remember getting changed after my shift and seeing the surfers counting their wads of cash in the change <laughs> rooms and just just being disgusted. I, I wanted to become a server then because it just seems so unfair. It's ridiculous. Um, I'm not saying they don't deserve it or, you know, they don't earn that money, but it just seems a little bit uh, unbalanced. And when Choke the Restaurant opens... There will be no front of house, I don't think. I think it'll just be back of house, running the food, taking the orders, doing the cooking, all that kind of stuff. Right. Interesting. Yeah, I've I've heard of that model before. It sounds like it's going to be would be extra challenging on the cooks, but mm-hmm. I guess you just adapt. I guess so. to that yeah. to that style. I suppose. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's what's something that you wish restaurant guests knew or understood better about the business without without seeing perhaps the the dark underbelly that you may not want them to see yeah yeah um well that's a good question because i i don't know if there's anything they need to understand or in my eyes they're like um they're dining for the experience you know it's a show it's like they're going out to be entertained and when you go to the theater or whatever you don't really want to see the backstage it would kind of ruin the magic yeah that's a good point and like i said if some of these diners caught a glimpse backstage to the kitchen um, they might think twice about eating there again, or at least the kind of the shiny glow, the shininess would kind of erode from the meal and the whole experience. So I don't think we can tell the diners to like, you know, be more courteous or to be more sensitive to the menu items or whatever. I think they're going, they're going to go for their experience and their entertainment. Right. And we shouldn't be telling them to like, you know, to turn off their phones when the show is on or to like not talk to each other or whatever it is. They're, they're there to, you know, they're paying the money to have a good experience. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we should be telling them what to do. Maybe we should just adapt our restaurant to better, you know, entertain them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard that in London, some artists are opening bakeries and they're actually getting funding from some arts grant organizations. And so they're opening these as, creative endeavors basically as as art projects which 
it makes sense to me because cooking is a creative endeavor and it's an artistic endeavor at some level. Definitely. And like many other creative and artistic endeavors, it's not necessarily profitable. So mm-hmm. do you think culinary arts should be viewed more as arts than they currently are in North America? Uh, definitely. If, if you're going to a restaurant just for fuel, you know, if you just want to like get the calories so you're able to walk around and do whatever you need to do, then all restaurants are just going to turn into like, kind of you know this food dispensers where you pull down a, a chute and your food <laughs> sure. pouring out get, get your get your pellet yeah exactly exactly so it is art it definitely is art and uh yeah i don't think that's uh up for debate I and mean, it should maybe be treated more more appropriately i guess with uh yeah with uh grants or whatever you know i think that's a great yeah. idea those artisanal bakeries that are yeah yeah actually getting some funding i i have a feeling it would be met with some resistance here um mm, yeah, I well, it, yeah you know taxpayers would what i'm not i'm not funding somebody who wants to open a bakery i i suspect i don't i don't think that's the right view but no but i suspect that everything or anything will be uh, met with uh, a certain kind of backlash you know whatever it is there's going to be some people who don't agree with it there's one thing for sure is that we can't really get everyone to agree on one thing on one thing that's certainly true do you maybe just give us some comments on on the balancing of those two different poles in a restaurant which is to say the artistic and the business reality because as much as cooking is an artistic endeavor it's also a business right so how do you uh, how do you balance those yeah satisfying creative expression while keeping food cost at 30 yeah, percent yeah, or below yeah. well geez if i had the answers to that i would be you know i'd have many restaurants open around the world and i'd be making a lot of money it's a it's a difficult balance you know it's almost impossible you, you have to be smart and like original dedicated and business savvy the restaurant game is not a uh, easy to play you know it's a, a really difficult business i suppose so I don't really have a simple answer for that, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah, no, it's tough, isn't it? And so many people I've seen, whether it's in the in the restaurant world or, or you know, in the legal world, the other one I know, and other businesses, um, doesn't seem to matter what it is. You take, if you open your own shop, you take on a million other challenges, right? Like you might be the greatest chef ever, but that doesn't mean you're necessarily good at yeah. developing a website or negotiating a lease or hiring and firing staff. So, and I don't think that is appreciated really or even considered by people coming into restaurants. How many yeah. balls restaurant owners definitely, are juggling? Definitely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk about some, uh, some on, on a happier note, some recommended places. The The first issue, you had this great piece called the, the Vancouver Guide to Street Food. And that was quite literally food you can find on the street, some herbs and plants. And so do you think people should be doing more to source their own food even in the city um yes definitely people should definitely be doing more to source their own food in urban settings yeah it's pretty it's really easy to grow things uh it's difficult to grow a large variety of things i've learned with my little garden here outside my house so um i think best thing to do is like community growing where i might focus on growing carrots or whatever and my neighbor grows onions and his neighbor grows tomatoes and then we would all uh, you know come together and just trade everything so instead of having to worry about learning to grow carrots onions and tomatoes i can just grow one of them and swap right and know. swap it around yeah i interviewed a woman recently who's uh, another lawyer in town and she grew up on vancouver island and sounded exactly like that this really idyllic setting where everybody had if not a farm at least a garden and you just sort of share what you had right 
definitely, but maybe it's, I don't know, it's like a utopia. It's just a, it's a far-fetched idea to get the whole community, the whole neighborhood on board. You know, I think communities like that are really important. Uh, like the choke the zine, the cook community. I think uh, like growing communities would be a great thing too. I mean, farmer's markets are great. It's great to see, I guess, what can be grown in the locale. But often they're very expensive, you know. And um, I don't know. It's like they appeal to the egos of people where, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm eating organic local. But whatever. I drove the two kilometers to the farmer's market in my F-150 to, you know. <laughs> to, pick, to pick it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just kind of. Yeah, there's some. there can definitely be some conspicuous consumerism. Mm-hmm. around it yeah. yeah so yeah I, I i like your idea of start and i guess the the other thing is you can start small right i'm always amazed at the sheer volume of production of plants that comes out of a, a relatively small space well listen Artie. apart from growing our own food is there anything that uh, any tips you could pass on to people cooking at home on how they could improve their own game uh, well apart from growing your own food you could um teach yourself like learn read books about food and you, you might find that there's that weed that you've been passing every day on your way to the bus stop is actually edible you know I've, i find you need to learn about like the land i guess food is everywhere here in the pacific north northwest and what's missing is a knowledge and understanding of the land you know it's easy just to kind of uh, do what you're told and buy a plastic container of arugula from the grocery store but you'd be surprised with the uh, all the kind of wild and forageable food there is out there. Um, t- uh, tips. Sorry, what was it? Tips for tips for home. T- tips for the home cook. So in in the past, for example, I've had uh, one chef. He said, you know, the the biggest change in his cooking when he early on came when he started using a thermometer. Right? He was like, that was actually uh, kind of life changing or career changing for him. Definitely. I was recently talking to Andrea Carlson from Burdock, and we we got on to the importance of uh, you know a kitchen scale. That's another really cheap piece of equipment that you see all the time in restaurant kitchens, but not a whole bunch of home cooks are using them yet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, uh, a great tool to use if it's more than one person working in the kitchen at home with you is the delegation stick, which is um, <laughs> a stick that I point at people and say, peel those potatoes or cut those carrots or wash that remain and do a, you know, delegation is so important in not only a professional kitchen, but I guess at home too, if you have some, anyone around who's got, you know, who's capable of peeling potatoes, it's not worth your time peeling them. Get them to peel it, and then you free up your brain for, um, you know, more important tasks. Uh, apart from that, though, I'd say not to stress out or overwork or, like, worry too much. Like I said at the start, food is ephemeral, and even life itself is fleeting. So it's best not to get too caught up in the nonsense of it all and just to, like, enjoy yourself. And I'm sure if it's you have fun making it and it's a nice time making it, it'll come through in the food and, you know, the diners will, will taste it, taste the love. I, I love it. I think that's great advice. Mm-hmm. My my last question, and I think I'm going to get an evasive answer, is is where can people find you? So maybe a better question is, is how can people follow along with Choke? For sure. That is an excellent question. We started out on Instagram. You can follow us on Instagram at ChokeTheZine. We also have um, Twitter and Facebook accounts with the same uh, tag at 
Choke Bazine. Uh, we've got a brand new website, which is www.chokebazine.com. Uh, so you can you can get some issues there and find out uh, the latest information where we'll be dropping it off and things like that. Awesome. Well, thanks very much. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much, Graham. And thanks for having me on. Pleasure. Thank you, Artie, so much for joining me and for sharing your thoughts. I think the work you're doing with Choke is excellent. I'm glad to see people in the culinary industry sharing thoughts on it with themselves and with people outside of the industry. And I hope you're going to get even more readers to Choke the Zine and people can really enjoy that inside view that you're providing on the culinary world. Thanks so much for being a guest on Chef Demoni. As always, I love to hear from listeners. I would love to hear from you. If you've got a topic idea or a question for the show, perhaps you know a chef or a lawyer who you think might be a good guest for Chef Demoni, please just get in touch. You can reach me on social media. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or you can just send me an email to graham at chefdemoni.com. Okay, that is all for today and the return to season three. I look forward to seeing you next Friday, right here on Chef Demoni.